Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Our guests today are Mike and Kristen Berry. Mike and Kristen Berry are authors, bloggers, speakers, parent coaches, adoptive parents, and former foster parents. They are passionate about reaching adoptive and foster parents around the globe with a message of hope and transformation. They are the creators of the award-winning site, honestlyadoption.com, and the award-winning podcast, The Honestly Adoption Podcast. Collectively, they have authored or co-authored a number of books, including Born Broken, An Adoptive Journey, and Honestly Adoption, Answers to 101 Questions About Adoption and Foster Care. They have been married for 21 years, and they have eight children, all of whom are adopted. They live on a farm in Indiana. Today, we'll be speaking about their newly released book, Securely Attached, How Understanding Childhood Trauma Will Transform Your Parenting. I am thrilled to be speaking with Mike and Kristen Berry. They are pioneers, really, in the adoption community, and they really have a specialty of talking about trauma and the adoption journey and just really being such a support for people in the foster community and in the adoption community. I'm going to be talking with Mike and Kristen today about Honestly Adoption, which is their venture, as well as their new book release, Securely Attached. Mike and Kristen, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Excited to be here. Thanks. And uh, we're going to get started with your parenting journey. I, I know a little bit about your your journey in becoming parents, but if you can share with our audience your journey and how you grew your family, I guess we'll just go from there. All right, do you want to start, Mike? Yeah, I can. Always, I can start because He's typically like, when this no, question, I, I was hoping you would do it. <laughs> <laughs> we always kind of go back and forth like that. I typically, well, we get asked this question a lot. We we've been doing a lot of. Um, press around the book and um, uh, just about every radio interview, we get asked this question. It's like that pause where I'm like, should I, should I go? Should she go? Should we, who's going to start here? So I will start because um, in the beginning, going back more than 18 years ago, about almost 19 years now, uh, when we, when we first decided to adopt, I shouldn't say we, um, Kristen was, was uh, she, it was in her heart and in her, uh, it was her passion to, to, to begin the adoption journey and to, to build our family that way, because that, that was a storyline that was prevalent within her family. And I'll, I'll let her tell, you know, what that looks like, um, here in just a moment. But for me, adoption was never a storyline in my family. Uh, we, you know, everybody in my family came into the world, the old fashioned way, as we like to say it. Um, and, and so we, I never really, I wasn't, it wasn't that I was against it. It's just, I didn't understand it. And so it took a little bit of time. Uh, we got married in 1999 and we brought our, our first child home in April, 2002. And I can say that those, that those couple of years in between, uh, were a journey for me, um, where my heart was, was changing and, 
you know, it was one of those deals where I, I believe that that God brought certain people uh, into my my path, my life path that um, changed my perspective on adoption. And again, I, I, it, it wasn't that I looked at it negatively. It just didn't, I just didn't understand it. And so the people that I intersected with um, throughout that, that two years leading up to when we adopted our first child, um, they, they really uh, helped me understand what adoption was and what it meant for our our family and what it meant for their family. And so that really changed my heart. And that's, that's how God really began to weave the story of adoption into my life. And so, uh, and I'll let Kristen tell it from her perspective because she was on the other side of that, of me trying to figure things out and, and discover, um, you know, what this was all about. Well, I came from an adoptive family. And so that was the narrative that I knew and understood. My youngest brother was adopted. My grandfather grew up in the foster care system. My grandmother was adopted by a family member. Um, my uncle, uh, both his parents died on the same day, tragically in a car accident. Um, and so he did some bouncing around from family member to family member. My grandmother, oh no, I said my grandmother, um, Oh, my, my aunt placed a baby for adoption. And so, you know, a lot of that was just within the stories that we told in our family. So that came pretty naturally to understand that, that that was a certain way that families looked. So that was pretty natural for me. Uh, our first daughter uh, was adopted privately. And then shortly after that, a friend of ours needed someone uh, just to take her children temporarily. Um, but we were not able to do that unless we became foster parents. So we became foster parents and really just, you know, once you're a licensed home, um, that takes on a whole life of its own. And so, uh, we then had 23 children come through our home, uh, and in the end, eight were adopted. Uh, we've also participated with safe families, um, kinship care. Our oldest daughter was actually, uh, not our first daughter, our oldest daughter. Uh, that's just, you know, the truth of adoption. Our oldest daughter actually came to live with us as a 15 year old when her mom was really sick and eventually was adopted as an adult. So, um, that's just kind of, yeah, a long way of saying we're an adoptive family. I've always been a part of an adoptive family. So that was pretty natural for me. At what point in your journey in becoming parents, did you start noticing that, some of your children may have possibly been affected by prenatal alcohol exposure. Yeah, I, th I would say we didn't know um, what was <laughs> yeah, going that, on. That was my, that was my answer <laughs> so, too. For yeah, many years, we, just, we didn't um, know. And we thought, you know, wow, we're really doing something wrong. Um, I think that that was the, Mike and I take responsibility for ourselves and for our family. And so we didn't think this is a bad kid. We didn't think this is somebody else's fault. We didn't even think mental illness. We didn't know anything about trauma. Uh, we didn't know anything about drug and alcohol exposure. And actually there was something in my gut as I went to the pediatrician with my uh, then two-year-old where I'm cautiously trying to explain, um, you know, but this tantrum lasts like four hours and the pediatrician is looking at me like, well, you must be a really bad parent. Um, so that wasn't helpful. And then I tried to spell it out because I didn't want my child to hear 
that they were drug and alcohol exposed at the time. I just, I was tiptoeing around the whole subject, you know? So I said, there was exposure to D-R-U-G-S, you know, and, and our pediatrician said, oh no, you know, there's really no evidence that drug and alcohol exposure has any lasting effects. So we went home to just continue to try different bedtime routines and different discipline and different uh, bribes and strategies. Um, and so that's really how we noticed it was with one of our, our two-year-old children. And it wasn't until much later, uh, when we actually had a firsthand account of another one of our children uh, being exposed to alcohol that we found out about the fetal alcohol clinic here in Indianapolis. When we took the younger child, the older child was with us. And for anybody who is listening in, who has multiple children um, with an FASD or drug exposure, you know, maybe taking two or three kids uh, who are struggling in that way to a doctor's appointment is not the wisest choice, but also you may have limited resources in terms of babysitters. And so that older child was, you know, standing upside down on the chair, yelling, then doing great, you know, and then polite and respectful and talking to the doctor and then back, you know, on their head again. And um, the fetal alcohol doctor actually said, have you had uh, this one diagnosed as well? And it was the first time I realized that there were pieces of the puzzle fitting together, that uh, the trauma of prenatal drug and alcohol exposure might be what we're looking at. Um, and then that was, you know, just a shift in our parenting from that moment forward, it became, you know, trying to, you know, I said puzzle, you know, just trying to, to slip those pieces together again, and to learn to do things differently, and to teach those around us to do things differently. I think we had, um, it, it took us, even when we received that diagnosis, and I could be wrong on this one, Kristen, I think it took us, um, it, it was really up until 2012, where we still just did not understand what was going on. We, we felt like everything we were trying wasn't working, and we really didn't understand um, what, we didn't understand that the, the behaviors we were seeing were a, a, a result of that early childhood trauma. Um, and it took, I, I could be, I'm trying to remember all the dates lined up in my head. It's just a lot of, a lot of information. Um, but I think it took us a couple of years. Um, so it really put us on a journey of discovery that, uh, really started to just, the light bulbs went off, um, right around, um, 2011, 2012. Say that's fair. <laughs> and yep. we know in the adoption journey and in, in the parenting journey of, of a child that's been prenatally exposed to alcohol and or drugs, that oftentimes we get a diagnosis much later than we first suspect it, unfortunately. And because, you know, we, the yeah. parents know the child, know the teen pretty much better than anybody. And when, um, unfortunately, we present what we're seeing to doctors or specialists, unless they're specifically informed in FASD, they really either, you know, just kind of either brush it off or, or, or don't mm -hmm. catch it often. So it sounds like early on, you all became advocates for your kids um, in, in your parenting journey. How did you realize that um, parents and caregivers and professionals in your community were not trained, not only in FASD, which is we know is prenatal exposure, prenatal trauma uh, from alcohol, but the trauma afterwards, the lived experience trauma. When did you start to become advocates 
in the area of trauma for adoption and foster care? For our own children, it probably started, you know, right away at that preschool age where we began to notice that our kids were responding differently. Then, you know, that led into us trying to educate ourselves and to learn more and to do things differently um, in our own home, uh, which then led to writing. And uh, Mike and I both started a blog about different things. His was, well, he can tell you about his. His was great. Mine was called Tales from the 12th Passenger, and it was just poking fun at our family. What we discovered, though, is that uh, people really started to resonate with the stories of being a special needs family, being a foster family, being an adoptive family, and the uniqueness of that. And so our our listeners, our, our readers, really led us to a place of um, advocacy in the larger community because we found that that audience um, they needed to know that they weren't alone. And, and at first that's what we were about. And that kind of grew into, um, Hey, look, I just learned this new thing. Um, our tone, we try to keep it. Uh, what would I, what would I say to a friend who asked me this, you know, sitting across the table with a cup of coffee in our hands. And so that's kind of how that level of advocacy grew. The more that we learned, the more we wanted to share with our readers. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, um, along with that, um, one of the things that we heard repeatedly in those early days when we started out, um, and we really, to, to, to kind of dovetail off of what Kristen was saying, we both had, had different blogs, but we right around 2012 launched, um, confessions of an adoptive parent, which has since become honestly adoption. But in those early days we wrote, we created that blog because, you know, we, we had lots of people saying to us, man, I, I just, tried to have a conversation with my pediatrician about my child. And they looked at, they looked at me like I was crazy and I don't know what to do with that. Or I had a therapist that just, you know, downplayed everything I said and no, no knock on doctors or therapists. We have lots of close friends who are amazing, um, you know, trauma trained therapists, um, medical providers who totally understand childhood trauma. But we had a lot of people say to us, you know what, we just feel hopeless right now. And they felt like they're the only ones going through this, mm. you know, and we often do that. You know, we feel like what I'm dealing with, with my child, I, I'm the only one on planet earth that's dealing with this. And the fact is the truth is that's just not the truth, you know, and, uh, in those early days, and even now, I mean, it, it continues today, but especially in those early days, it was like this uprising of, Hey man, I just, I just feel like, uh, I am, I'm on an island and I'm all alone. And suddenly we had these people coming out of the woodworks, like woodwork saying, Hey, wow, I found you and you get it. You understand, you know? And, um, so that's really, um, those early days of the journey. That's really what we, that's probably the foundation of what everything that we've built today, uh, rests on. Um, because there really wasn't that, there wasn't a lot of resources, uh, that spoke honestly about, um, childhood trauma, drug and alcohol exposure in utero, um, you know, neglect, abuse, abandonment that happens um, that disrupts attachment. Um, and of course, now um, there's lots of great platforms, but in those early days, um, you know, there wasn't. And I think that's really um, where uh, we saw uh, this beginning, these beginning foundations of hope arising and hope um, coming to be within this community. 
And as someone, as a parent who has read your blogs and read your books, I'm so thankful for the both of you that you had that spark of advocacy, because I think that not only did it give hope to, to parents, you know, in the community, in the adoptive community, in the foster community, but it also made us feel less alone that you, you all felt alone in your journey that resonates. And, and that was one of the reasons why my husband and I wanted to start FASD hope, because again, when you have that feeling of, of isolation, you can either retreat in it or you can use it as a spark for change. Yeah, and, yeah, and I yeah. am so glad that you all did that. And I'm so thankful because that's what our community needs is, is more folks saying, okay, this is happening and you're not alone and we're here for you and we support you. So as a follower of you guys, thank you so much for, for all you do. And I'm yeah, so thankful. It's our pleasure. I'm so thankful that I was able to be on the launch team of Securely Attached, your newest book, because it's amazing. So let's go ahead and talk about your newest book, Securely Attached. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I I can say, I want to say this. I am super proud of this book uh, because I believe as I look at this book and the the two years, realistically, it was about two years that it took um, to write um, Securely Attached. This, This really is the the culmination of everything that we have learned and discovered and relearned and researched the the countless hours that we've sat at the feet of people like Dr. Ira Chasnov and Deborah Gray and Dr. Gary Feldman um, to name a few uh, is that's this is the result this book is the result um, so everything that we we know and we teach. Um, all year long on trauma, on childhood trauma. And, and from our perspective, our curriculum, uh, our approach uh, is, is called trauma knowledge. That's how, that's what our online course and everything that we've built around that is called. So this, this is the book form of that. Um, and really you said it earlier um, when you were, you were talking about the, the simplistic approach. Um, we wrote this book to be what we like to call a parent to parent approach to understanding trauma. So we like to picture it like we're sitting across the table with a cup of coffee, you know, kneecap to kneecap, eyeball to eyeball, and we're just sharing with each other. Of course, now we can't do that because of COVID and social distancing. But back when we used to be able to sit down uh, over a cup of coffee and just pour our hearts out and encourage one another, um, that's how we like to picture this book. Um, it's, It's filled with stories, personal stories, personal illustrations, uh, uh, accounts of people that we've known and we've interacted with and we've coached over the years. Uh, and really, um, we wanted it to be a handbook for parents, uh, parents who were on the foster and adoptive journey, parents who are parenting children, uh, who have, uh, have a, a history of trauma, who have gone through childhood trauma, uh, an approach that they can uh, reference back to and say, okay, I understand that the behavior that I'm seeing is not the result of a bad kid behaving badly, that the behavior I see before me is actually a window into the past. And this child is, is melting down, is anxious, is overwhelmed. Instead of reacting harshly, or now I need to step back and ask myself, how can I connect with this child? What can I do to help you? Things that are just a, a, an approach that's, that's very simplistic. That's really what Securely Attached is, is built on. You make it so 
relatable. And in fact, you even use these wonderful analogies. And you also share personal stories of your experience with trauma because it's important for parents and caregivers to know that how you experience trauma impacts how you parent a child that has experienced trauma. One of the things that really resonated with me was your description of trauma in terms of like a house. Can you share just a little Mm. bit of that with our audience? Because I think that's such a great example. I love that you pointed out the understanding ourselves and understanding how trauma works in ourselves and our own bodies. So one of the things that we tried to do are give some examples um, that a person can just keep with them, that a parent or a caregiver can just kind of put in their back pocket. And so uh, the illustration of the house uh, is something that I actually learned at a conference a long time ago. I wish it was my idea, Uh, but it really resonated with me because I have a house. <laughs> I guess I mean, that's really why it resonated with me. I have a house. Um, I know what a house looks like. Everybody knows what a house looks like. And especially for us, uh, we live in the Midwest in central Indiana. Um, we have tornadoes. Um, we have a basement, of course, um, pretty much everybody does here. And our basement is an old cellar, uh, farmhouse style picture, you know, the creepiest Yuck, you can think of. That's our cellar. The only reason that we're going to go down to the cellar is if the septic tank is backed up or there's a tornado coming. So when I picture myself going down to the basement, um, I picture myself in my basement brain. And uh, we don't do any uh, logical thinking connection attachment in the basement at our house. That's just not something we do. You're not going to see the berries uh, trail on down to the basement and play a board game um, or go to the basement and, you know, have hugs and kisses and um, plan our family vacation. That's not what we do. If we're in the basement, it's because we're in a crisis and our only intent is to survive. Um, So we've gone to the basement for a survival reason. Our brains work much the same way. When we come up into the first floor, that family room area, uh, that's the place where our our brains uh, begin to feel all the emotions. So survival brain is not really where we're feeling love or fear or, you know, even... uh, hunger or security. Um, the basement brain is just about survival. It's where everything else is flipped off. Um, we're not thinking about anything, but, uh, our body has just taken over this, uh, this need to survive in that first floor brain. Then, uh, we're processing through all the different emotions, feelings. How does our body feel? Um, how did this situation make me feel? Um, even some things as simple as I feel hungry. What should I do about it? That's going to happen in that first floor brain in our own house. The first floor is where our family room is. It's where the television is. It's where all the, you know, comfy worn out couches are, um, from all the family movie nights and people standing on the couch and eating on the couch, even though they're not supposed to. Um, so that's going to be your first floor brain. Then the upstairs brain is your logical brain. Um, our upstairs is, um, a it is an old farmhouse. So it's just this beautiful loft with wooden floors. Uh, we can look out over cornfields and soybeans and into a sunset. Uh, and it's just a really beautiful and calm place to be. So when we're in that upstairs brain, that is when our brain is able to do a lot of logical reasoning, planning ahead, um, and that level of functioning. So when we can teach 
parents and other caregivers, these different illustrations to use. Um, we try to use as many as possible because something might resonate with another family. And what our hope is, is that uh, when a child uh, begins to act out of their survival brain, that a parent who reads something that we've written or listens to us uh, at a conference, um, that a parent will say, aha, I remember this isn't a child behaving badly. This is a child who is functioning out of the basement brain. How can I help them get back upstairs so that we can be in a place um, with logic and reasoning uh, where attachment, connection, and security can happen? And you also, not only do you give these amazing illustrations and, and analogies, but you also share later on in the book strategies for what to do when they're in the basement brain type of trauma mode, you know, as far as, you know, helpful tips and things like that for parents and caregivers. So this book is really just the handbook that parents, caregivers, professionals want to have so you can better understand trauma and how you can just keep trauma in the forefront of your mind when you are parenting a child with both prenatal trauma, which would be alcohol and drug exposure, and then lived experience trauma through whatever journey they're coming to you. Mike, it was actually a story of your flight and uh, the storm and and the sun, the storm clouds and the sun. Would you mind sharing a little bit with that? Because that really gives hope for folks who are in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And this is something that uh, even though that happened, I think five or six years ago now, um, it's still something I I continually reference. I actually have the picture that I I talk about. I don't think the picture made it into the book, but um, I do have the picture that I took of the sunset. And so a a really quick um, uh, version of that story is that um, like five years ago, I was I, I had been out in San Diego, California speaking and uh, was on my way home. I'd been out there for quite a few many days, several days, and I missed home. Uh, I missed um, I missed my family. I, I just wanted to see everybody. And I got on a plane. I flew into Denver, Colorado, and a massive storm rolled through Denver. Um, and, you know, because I was tired, because I was exhausted, uh, and I just, I just longed, um, to get off the road and back home. I just started to feel really hopeless because in the process of this storm rolling through flights began to delay and flights began to cancel. And I just watched all of these flights cancel. And I watched my flight become, it just went to later and later. The, the, the departure time went, became later and later and later. And instead of departing at like four in the afternoon, I was now departing at 7 p.m., which here in Indianapolis would have been 9 p.m., which meant that I wouldn't be home with the drive back from the airport till like midnight. So everybody would have been in bed. So I was really depressed, really sad. I started to feel hopeless. I'm, I'm looking at my surroundings and all I can see is the storm, right? I, I can't see anything beyond that. And I get on this plane. We're, we're, we finally back up from the gate. We're, we're taxing down the runway. You know, the wind is just kind of knocking us all over the place. The, the plane lifts off the grounds, rocking back and forth. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. And as I'm sitting there in my seat, uh, suddenly after a couple of minutes of just being battered all over the place, there's, I see this bright light out of the corner of my eye and it caught my, it caught my attention. And I looked out the window to see 
the to this day the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen. And the reason it, it suddenly caught my eye is that as the plane ascended, we came up out of the storm and that sunset was above the storm. When I was down on the ground, all I could see was the storm around me. But the reality was the sun was shining the whole time. This beautiful sunset was unfolding the entire time. And the reason I tell that story uh, often to foster adoptive parents, the reason why it made it into this book and one of my other books is that I think that's our journey uh, often. I think that um, parenting um, children who have experienced trauma can leave us feeling exhausted and spent because, you know, even though we, we may have a healthy reference to why a child is behaving the way he or she is behaving. We under, we may understand that this is a result of trauma. Um, as I like to say it, past trauma often dictates present behavior. Even though we may know that, we, we can still, the exhaustion can get the best of us. And, you know, I, I think that oftentimes, kind of like I, I was in that, that terminal, I was surrounded by a storm. That's all I could see. I, I let the storm convince me that there was no hope, but just beyond the storm, uh, there was the, there was a beautiful sunset. And the reality with every storm in our life is that storms are temporary. They're always going to be temporary. The sun is always, always there. And I think that's a good reminder for us as parents that when we're in these storms with our children, uh, we may lose hope. Uh, but we need to recognize that there is hope. It just lies beyond the, the, the storm clouds. And we also need to know, this is something I constantly remind myself that, you know, what, what your child is going through at 10 years old or at 11 years old or 12 years old does not define his or her future. Uh, we, we don't know what the future looks like, right? So we can't base what we don't know on what's happening right now. Um, that, and that's hope. You know, um, I love that you guys, that your, your organization is, is, has the word hope in it, FASD hope, because the reality is yes, FASD is a hard diagnosis. It's messy. Um, and it, it, it requires sometimes for, for a lot of parents, it requires a whole lot of vigilance, which is exhausting, but there is hope. The storm is temporary. The sun is permanent. The sun is always shining just beyond the clouds. I absolutely love that. That is just such a wonderful story and wonderful symbolism of that the sun is truly greater than the storm and the clouds. Um, yeah. I, and I was just so thrilled to be a part of the launch team. It was it was great. And um, I know COVID had put a damper in, in getting the books out, um, but, uh, <laughs> Always. But, but they are out and um, you can get securely attached. It's actually on our reading list on the FASDHope.com website. It's one of our featured books in our reading list. I highly, highly recommend it. It's just an amazing book and not only for yourself, but if you know anyone else, it, it's a great book to share and to have. Mike and Kristen, before we share your contact information and, and how folks can get in touch with you, I like to end our conversations on what I call a hope takeaway, which is what's a dose yeah. of hope? What is something that parents of kids, teens, adults that have both FASD and that lived trauma experience, what are some words of hope that you can give to them? I would say the story's not over yet. And you are, you're the right parent for this moment. So don't lose hope. 
stick with it. Don't give up. You may not see the fruits of your labor until much, much later. It, it may be that that your grown child um, suddenly begins to have some of these successes that other families are seeing at age 12 or 13, um, but you're seeing with your 40-year-old. Um, and that's going to be a really incredible moment. So my word of hope would just be don't give up. Along with that, back to what I, I shared a moment ago um, in the story of that sunset, um, I would reiterate that remember that what is happening with your child, what you experience with your child um, is is a window into something greater. And you know we talk about in the book becoming the detective, asking yourself bigger questions that when um, you know when those behaviors begin to escalate and you know you have just a whole lot of things going on in life, right? Um, it's important to step back and remind yourself, um, of what is really going on here, the big picture. I, th- I find a lot of hope in that because oftentimes when uh, I'm, I'm dealing with these behaviors that are extreme or uh, unending, simply reminding myself that this is trauma behavior. This is not a child who wants to live like this, but it's the only way he or she un- knows how to uh, articulate an unmet need. Um, that gives me hope uh, because I recognize that, you know what, this is a long journey. Um, but as Kristen said, the story's not over. Um, you may fail miserably today, but that doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to. Um, today's failures are not are not gonna necessarily going to carry over. So pick yourself back up, give yourself grace and move forward. Absolutely. Mike and Kristen, thank you so much for being on our show today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedules to <laughs> talk with us and, and to share not only your amazing journey as, as a family and in advocacy, but also uh, your incredible publications and your organization, Honestly Adoption, and your podcast, Honestly Adoption. Um, thank you for everything you do for our community. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you. And Mike and Kristen, if you can share with our audience the best way to get in touch with you guys. Yeah, the best way is is through our main site, which is honestlyadoption.com. Um, if you visit that page, um, you can basically connect to everything that we that we do, everything that we've created, everything that we have available, the blog, the podcast. Uh, we have a, an entire parenting training a site called Honestly Adoption University. Um, it's all there on honestlyadoption.com. You just click that little hamburger menu at the top right corner and um, you'll find access to everything that we do. Of course, you can also find us on social media. On Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash honestlyadoption. It still says confessions of an adoptive parent. Facebook won't let us change it for some reason. We've kind of been in like a, a two-month battle with them and they keep rejecting our requests, uh, which we have no idea why, because we see all of our friends changing their their page names, and we're like, what what's going on? But um, you can also, um, another site that we have um, really spent a lot of time investing in is our Instagram page, which is instagram.com, or just at honestly adoption co. Uh, we put the little co at the end on, on uh, Instagram. So those are all the ways you can connect with us. We will be sharing Mike and Kristen's information with honestlyadoption.com on our website as well. And that's fasdhope.com, as well as their handles for their social media pages. Mike and Kristen, thank you again for being on FASD Hope. 
Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. We enjoyed it. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com. Or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember, to be informed, take care, and always have hope.